Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter 8. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have as believers to sing praise to your name to be able to come and worship you, to know that, Lord, where two or three are gathered together in your name, there are you in the midst, to know that, Father, we have in our possession your divinely inspired word. We pray today, Lord God, as we take some time now to study your word, that you would guide our time. pray that, Lord, you would give me uh, understanding to be able to clearly present your word today and give each and every one of us understanding to receive your word today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And we pray that, Lord, that as we study together today, that we might indeed gain an understanding of your greatness, your goodness, your love, and, Lord, be challenged by your truth. God, our time now we pray in your word this morning. May you be exalted and may you be praised. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in the reading that Nathan read for us this morning in Acts chapter 8 and verses 26 to 40, we have the tale of two men. One by the name of Philip. He was a deacon in the church, in the early church there in Jerusalem. And the other, the Ethiopian eunuch from the court of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And because of the persecution of the early church, many of the leaders of the early church there in Jerusalem were compelled to take flight. And Philip was among those that fled from Jerusalem under the persecution that Saul, the eventually Apostle Paul the Apostle, was bringing upon the church. When Philip flees, he flees to the city of Samaria where he preaches the gospel. And we know here from Acts chapter 8 that he enjoys great success while he's there. And it's while he's enjoying this great success in Samaria that Philip is directed by the Lord in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26 to go toward the south under the way that is goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now geographically, Samaria is located north of Jerusalem, a fair way north of Jerusalem. And this road that leads down the major uh, uh, trade route that leads down to Egypt means that he's going to go down south, way down south, on the road to Gaza, way down south, past Jerusalem. And in leaving at the command of the Lord, Philip is leaving a place where he has seen great revival. To go to a place, a desert, where there is nobody. At least that's what it seems to him. And when he gets there, he finds that God does have someone to whom he is to witness. And so this morning, as we look at the tale of these two men, we see firstly a ready witness. A ready witness in verses 26 29. We read in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, as we've already noted, when Philip is called by God to go down to this desert place, he was enjoying great success in Samaria. We read about that back in verse 4 of this chapter. It says in verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, 
went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. A great revival is happening in Samaria. And Philip's in the midst of this. Philip is preaching the word. Souls are getting saved. A great work has been accomplished. And therefore, we might have thought that Philip would have objected to leaving Samaria and the work in Samaria to go to a desert place, to go to a desert. But you know, we find here that Philip has the desire to do God's will. And we read in verse 26, it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And verse 27 says, And he arose and went. He arose and went. He did exactly what the Lord commanded him to do. He left Samaria, he made his way down to Gaza, down to this desert place. I mean, later the Holy Spirit, Philip enthusiastically submits to God's will. Notice what it says there. In the rest of verse 29 and uh, verse 30, it says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and join thyself to the chariot. And Philip ran thither to him. He ran. So not only does he obey the Lord and leave the great revival of Samaria and go down to this desert place on the way to Gaza, but when he's told to uh, talk to the Ethiopian, he runs to the chariot. He enthusiastically submits to the will of God. You know, real enthusiasm in the work of the Lord is a rare thing in many places, even today. But you know, if souls will be saved, then we need a passion for the lost like Philip had. And even though he was now leaving a task whereby many are trusting the Lord and many are listening to the gospel, to go and talk to one individual, that does not alter the enthusiasm with which Philip takes the gospel message to the souls that need it. And you and I need to remember that souls are still in need of a saviour. You need to remember that the business of every believer is to preach Christ under them. As we're told in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, we'd be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks of us. The reason of the hope of us with meekness and fear, we're to be enthusiastically seeking to serve the Lord, seeking to share the gospel just like Philip did. Now in this tale of two men, Philip wasn't the only one being led of the Spirit because the Ethiopian was also being led of the Spirit. Now, the Ethiopian doesn't know it yet, but the Spirit of the Lord is working on the heart of the Ethiopian. God's going to move this man in the midst of a revival to one individual on the road to Gaza in a desert place because there's a man who the Spirit of God is already working on his heart and a man who needs the Saviour. And so in this tale of two men, we see, secondly, an inquiring sinner. In verse 27, it says, And he rose and went, and behold, a man of the Ethiopian, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah as the prophet, and the spirit said to Philip, Go near and join thyself to the chariot. On this desert road, Philip encounters an Ethiopian. Now, he's a proselyte Jew. He is from Ethiopia, but he's been up to Jerusalem to worship 
which means that he is following the Jewish religion. He has become part of Judaism. He's a proselyte Jew. And he's returning from Jerusalem, where he's been up to worship, and he's coming back and he's reading the Bible. Now, this Ethiopian was a man of great success. He was a very successful man. We're told in verse 27 that he was a man of great authority. Notice what it says. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. In fact, he was in charge of her treasury. This man was a very influential man. This man was a very important man. This man was a, a man of great authority. And yet his success obviously didn't answer all the questions that he had in his life. He knew he needed some real spiritual direction. He needed some real spiritual answers. And so as he's heading back from Jerusalem, he's seeking for those answers. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, we're told in verse 27, there at the end of the verse, and he'd come to Jerusalem for to worship. And in verse 28, we read that he was returning, sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah the prophet. Somebody said he was a noble man on a noble search. Now, we can't say if the Ethiopian found God in his visit to Jerusalem, but we do know this, he certainly found the word of God in his visit to Jerusalem. And he's reading the word of God on the way home from Jerusalem, seeking for God to lead him. And we know this because as Philip drew near to the chariot, he heard the man reading from Isaiah 53 and verse 30, and Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? You know, the Ethiopian's hungry for the word of God. I don't know how long the trip takes by chariot from Jerusalem to where he's going back in Ethiopia, but you can guarantee it's a long journey and he's sitting in his chariot and he's reading the word of God. He's hungry to understand the truth. He's hungry to get some answers. He wants to know what it's all about. Now, typically a copy of the scroll like the one that the Ethiopian was reading, would have cost an awful lot of money in his day. And therefore it can be assumed that he really wanted to know some answers because he's paid a lot of money to purchase the word of God that he might find some answers to his questions. Now you and I could praise the Lord with the Ethiopian that he had secured the scroll. For God, by his word, was already working in his heart. God was already preparing his heart for what he was about to encounter when he meets Philip. In fact, God is softening his heart so that when Philip runs to the chariot, Philip speaks and the heart of the Ethiopian is already receptive to the word of God. Now, the Ethiopian was a rich man, a man of power. And you might well say that he was in some way a celebrity. And yet he needed Jesus. He needed a saviour just like everybody else. And so in Acts 8.29 we read that Philip is told to go near and join himself to the chariot. And Philip does his ass and he runs to the chariot. Now think about that. That took real boldness for Philip to go right up to the Ethiopian's chariot and speak to him. That's what Philip did. Now we've got to 
assume that this Ethiopian is not on his own. He's the treasurer of the household of the queen of the Ethiopians, Candace. So he's traveling in a caravan and an entourage. He's probably got some bodyguards. He's probably got a lot of people taking care of him. For Philip to actually run up to his chariot, this takes boldness on behalf of Philip to go up to the chariot and ask this man if he understands what he reads. You know, we often shrink back, don't we, from speaking boldly about Jesus. But, you know, because the world lets us know that we shouldn't talk about such things. The world does not hesitate to impose their opinions and their message on us. We should just be as bold as the world is about telling them about Jesus. The world is about telling us about sin. You know what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16? He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He understood the power of the gospel. And the same is true for you and I. There is power in the gospel. And you and I should not shrink from sharing the gospel when we get opportunity because the gospel is the means by which people get saved. They hear the word of God. They hear the gospel and they trust the Lord as their saviour. They need to hear. People today are still without the saviour. People today are still without Christ. People today are still without hope. People today are lost and dying, and on their way to hell, and Christ is the only answer to man's need. And you know, we need to pray for open doors. We need to pray that God will give us open doors, and God will give us boldness when those open doors present themselves to share the gospel, just like Philip did. God led him to an individual so that he might share the gospel with him. You know, if some of us had got all the way down to that desert in Gaza and we saw the Ethiopian with all of his entourage, some of us would shrink back from running to tell or talk to him about the Lord. We'd be too embarrassed to talk to him. We'd be too afraid of what the entourage might do if we run towards him. But you and I ought to pray that God will give us holy boldness. He would give us open doors and holy boldness to share the gospel because there are people out there who still need the Saviour. In Acts 8.30, Philip hears him reading. It says, And Philip ran thither and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. He heard him reading. You know, it was common in the ancient world for people to read out loud. And that's how Philip knew what the Ethiopian was reading. The Ethiopian wasn't just sitting silently in his chariot reading the Bible. He's reading it out loud. And Philip hears him read from the prophet Isaiah, prophet Isaiah. And I'm sure that Philip knew at that moment that God had given him an open door, given him an opportunity to share the gospel. God had arranged this meeting between the Ethiopian and Philip. God had orchestrated this. You see, the Lord knew there was a man who was seeking some answers, a man who was seeking for the truth. And God was willingly moves a man from the middle of the revival all the way down to this desert place to speak to one man who is seeking the Savior. And I'm sure Philip now is aware of the fact that God has orchestrated this event for these two men to meet now Philip puts 
a fair question to this man at the end of verse 30. He says, understandest thou what thou readest? Understandest what thou readest? You know, it's good for the Ethiopian to be reading the Bible. It was good for him to be reading Isaiah 53. In fact, that's a great, one of the great passages of the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 on the suffering Saviour. But unless the Ethiopian understands what he's reading, then what he's reading will be of no value to him. It will be a little benefit to him to spend all of his time between Jerusalem and Ethiopia reading the Bible if he hasn't got a clue what he's reading. So it's true today, isn't it? You know, unless people hear the word, they can't get saved. But unless they, are, unless they understand what they hear, they can't get saved. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. People need to hear the word, and they need to understand the word to be saved. Now in Acts chapter 8 and verse 31, the Ethiopian responds, and he said, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and up and sit with him. It's where the unsaved must start. Everybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ, their Savior, must start right here with inquiring about Christ, inquiring what, this path, what the Word of God means. But you know, the inquiring sinner needs a ready and prepared preacher. In the same passage where it says in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, back in verses 13 and 14, it asks the question, how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, faith does come by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but the only way people are going to hear is if they have a preacher. And that's exactly what's happening here. This Ethiopian is seeking for answers God sends Philip along so that Philip might be that preacher, might be that faithful preacher of the word of God to this Ethiopian. He's ready, he's prepared to preach unto him Christ. And so now the seeker of the Lord and the preacher of the word come together. And the man who's reading the word now receives the understanding of the word. Because in God's wonderful planning, God has put all this together. And the Ethiopian is reading Isaiah 53. Now why Isaiah 53? I don't know how big his scroll was. I don't know what he bought. But Isaiah 53, he couldn't have picked a better passage to be reading than Isaiah 53. You know, it's an amazing passage that describes the sacrificial substitutionary, sin-bearing sacrifice of Christ upon the cross of Calvary. It talks about his work of salvation. Isaiah 53 spells out for us the very character, the very nature, the very work of our Savior. And here in Acts chapter 8 and verses 32 to 34, we read this about that passage. It says that the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his, his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. His humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. 
And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest thou the prophet this? Himself or some other? This great passage of scripture. This passage of scripture from the book of Isaiah 53 speaks of the sacrificial suffering of the Savior. And we're told that Philip is guided by the Lord. And he begins, according to Acts chapter 8 and verse 35, at the same scripture to preach unto him Jesus. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Philip's preaching right here consists of him explaining who Jesus was. He explains to this Ethiopian that Isaiah 53 is talking about Christ, the Savior, the one who died upon the cross of Calvary, the one who shed his blood for sinners like Philip and like the Ethiopian, that he was the Lamb of God who had come and died for the sins of man. That as John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He explained to him that the Lamb, the one who was offered up as a sheep before a shearer and before the slaughterer, was none other than Jesus Christ. That he's that Lamb that was led as a sheep to the slaughter. That he is that Lamb that offered himself up as a sacrifice for sin so that we might be saved. So that we might have our sins forgiven. So that we might have eternal life. Jesus Christ is the one who is the sheep to the slaughter. He's the one in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And he shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. Jesus Christ died that sinners like you and I might get saved. The Bible tells us of all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of God's standard of righteousness. You and I can't get to heaven on our own Strength by our own efforts, by our own works. Jesus Christ went to Calvary and there on Calvary he shed his precious blood. He died for you and for me. As this lamb that was humiliated, this lamb that was slain so that we might be saved. Acts 8, 32 and 33 explains who Jesus is. Philip explains what Jesus has done for us. When Philip expands Isaiah 53, starting at the same place, he helps this Ethiopian to understand what he's read. And he preaches unto him Jesus. He gives unto him the gospel. Because the essence of the gospel is Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is the message of salvation found in Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He died for our sins. He was buried for our sins. He rose again victorious that we might have our sins forgiven. We might have a home in heaven. Christ is the focus of Isaiah 53. For there is no salvation apart from Christ. Acts 4.12 tells us, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, why we must be saved. He's the only means of salvation. 
You can't get to heaven by works. You can't get to heaven by religion. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 14, verse 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. He's the only means of salvation. He's the only way of salvation. There is no other way than Jesus Christ. And so as this Ethiopian is reading Isaiah 53, Philip began the same scripture to preach unto him Jesus because Jesus is the focus. He's the means. He's the only plan for salvation. And I wonder today, do you know the Savior? Has there been a time and place in your life where like the Ethiopian, you've sought out the answer from God's word and you've discovered that Jesus Christ is the answer and you've placed your faith and trust in him for salvation? I trust so. Because Jesus is the answer. And thirdly, in this tale of two men, not only do we have uh, see in this passage, not only do we have the ready witness and the inquiring sinner, but thirdly, we have an obedient convert. An obedient convert. Look at verse 20, 36. As they went on their way, they came unto certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? As we come to verse 36, what we find is that the Ethiopian was ready to respond to the gospel. The eunuchs heard the preaching of the gospel. He's heard Philip's explanation of Isaiah 53 that it's all about Jesus. I'm sure that the Ethiopians returning from Jerusalem has heard about Christ, about this one who was crucified, this one who had been around for three plus years and done great miracles. I'm sure he heard about this one that they crucified. Now Philip's explained to him that that one who died on the cross of Calvary was none other than Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And he's now ready to respond to the message, the gospel message given to him from Philip. And he believes and he's gloriously saved. He says, they went on their way talking about Christ. And the union asked him more and more questions. And we're not told how long they were in this chariot together, but as they're going along the way, they're discussing the passage of Scripture. And you can almost imagine, can't you, the Ethiopian asking more and more questions, seeking more and more understanding of the Word of God. And Philip answering the questions of the Ethiopian eunuch, and then he gloriously trusts Christ as his Saviour. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Not a tribute to Philip's salesmanship, but it's a testimony of the truth of Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Because as Philip shares the word of God with the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian receives an understanding, and by faith he believes on Jesus Christ. And we know this, because of what happens next in Acts chapter 8. Because in Acts chapter 8 and verse 36, it says, And they went on their way, they came to certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? The sight of a body of water makes the eunuch think of baptism. 
And as you think about that, what this shows to us, it shows to us that the Ethiopian did not, did in fact believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he wanted to publicly declare his faith. Now remember, this is not a secret baptism between Philip and the Ethiopian. This Ethiopian is traveling in a large caravan, an entourage, from the household of the queen of the Ethiopians, the household of Candace. He's traveling back to Ethiopia. And he now publicly wants to stand up and declare his faith in the Savior who is just trusted in. He is by faith understood that Christ is the answer. By faith, he's believed in Jesus Christ, and now he wants to publicly testify and identify with Christ, his Savior. It's interesting that he does not demand baptism. He doesn't say, here is water and I am resolved to be baptized. He says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? He turns to Philip and he says, look, here's water. What stops me from getting baptized? Is there any impediment, is there anything left that I need to do before I can identify with Christ and testify of my salvation? Is there anything else I need to do before I can be baptized? And Philip's answer is very informative when it comes to the matter of salvation and baptism. Because what Philip says to him in verse 37 is this. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. If you believe, you may. If you receive the record that God has given concerning Jesus Christ by faith, you may be baptized. If you have believed that he is the only means of salvation, if you by faith have trusted Christ as your Savior this day, then you may be baptized. And look at the eunuch's answer in verse 37. And he said, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was ready and willing to confess Christ. He said, if you believe, you may. What stops me? Is there any impediment to me getting baptized? Philip says, if you believe, you can. He said, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to confess Christ and I want to do it through baptism. To him, baptism was an outward sign of what had already taken place in his heart. Baptism was not his means of salvation. This was not his ticket to heaven. This was not some extra level of means needed means to be saved. He said, I am saved. Philip says, what you need to do to be baptized is believe. He said, I believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's my testimony. To him it was an outward sign of what had already taken place in his heart. And that's what baptism is. Baptism is not a means of salvation. Salvation is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. He died for our sins. Baptism is simply a picture of what has already taken place in the heart and the life of the individual. Baptism is a public confession of a person's faith in Jesus Christ. 
Baptism won't save anybody. Only faith in Christ can save. As Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that brings about salvation. Baptism doesn't save. Baptism won't save. Baptism is a public testimony of what Christ has done in our hearts and lives. It's interesting that when the Ethiopian said, I believe that Jesus, is the Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, there in verse 37, he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He confessed that he believed in the personal work of Christ. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I believe in the personal work of Jesus Christ. I believe that he is the Son of God. I believe that he's the one who died for my sins. <coughs> he agreed with his mind and with his heart that Jesus is the sin-bearing servant of Isaiah. He says, that which you taught me from Isaiah 53, I believe that. And I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And in so doing, he confesses that he believes in the personal work of Christ. So he requests baptism. And in verse 38, we read this. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Here we see the pattern for baptism. Baptism is a public confession of our faith, an identification with Christ and his work of salvation. The seven getting baptized today are going to make a public confession of their faith that they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is their Savior. And they will identify with the work of Christ at salvation through the waters of baptism. Notice baptism as at the person's own request. Since verse 36, he said unto him, they came to certain water and he said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? It was at his own request. This is not infant baptism. Because infants can't request to be baptized, let alone be saved. This was a born-again believer. This was someone who understood what it was to be saved. This is someone who, by his own request, asked to be baptized. But baptism is also for those that believe. Because that's what Philip says. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Not just a head knowledge, but a heart acceptance of Christ. Baptism, thirdly, is upon a person's confession of faith. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Salvation comes first, then baptism follows. Baptism, as I said earlier, has no saving power. Only Christ can save. Baptism is the public confession of Christ, a public identification with him. Those getting baptized are signifying that Jesus Christ saved them and they want everyone to know. Baptism is by immersion in water. So in verse 38, And he commanded the chariots to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. 
They went both down into the water. This is not sprinkling here. Clearly here we see Philip immersed the Ethiopian in the waters of baptism. There's no need to go down into the water to sprinkle somebody. In fact, you don't need much water to be baptized by sprinkling. They went down into the water and the Ethiopian was baptized. And the reason they went down into the water and the reason why it's by immersion is because baptism is a picture of the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. Go back with me to Romans, or go forward with me, I should say, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And verses 3 and 4 illustrates this for us. Romans 6, 3 and 4, it says, Know ye not that so many of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into his death, that as like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. Baptism is us identifying with the finished word of Christ. I'm sure pastor's going to mention this when we go to the baptism, but you know when, the young, when those people getting baptized today go down into the water, they're saying Christ died for me, I'm identifying with Christ. When they go under the water, they're going to say, Christ was buried for me, and they're identifying with his burial. When they come up out of the water, they're acknowledging that Jesus Christ rose again, and they're identifying with his resurrection. And when they walk out of the water, they're going to identify and say, I want to walk in the newness of life that I have through Christ. That's salvation. Baptism is by immersion in water. They need to get fully wet because that's the only way to picture what baptism is all about. Baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for sinners. And those sinners who have been saved now come forward to be baptized to identify with Christ. And today we will witness the baptism of seven people. And each of the candidates will come upon their own testimony of faith and at their own request and will baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost. They will go into the water and each of them will be immersed so that the picture will be complete. In Acts 8.39 we read this. At the end of the story it says, And when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. We're told the Ethiopian leaves rejoicing. And I trust today we can rejoice in our salvation. I trust today you're rejoicing, that you know the Savior, that you, like the Ethiopian, can rejoice in the fact that you've heard the Word of God, received the Word of God, and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And I trust you'll join us as these seven candidates today testify of their faith through the ordinance of baptism and that we will rejoice with them as they identify with Christ in the waters of baptism today. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this testimony, Father God, of the Ethiopian, his desire to understand Isaiah 53. We thank you for Philip who had a boldness to join himself with the Ethiopian and share with him from the same passage of Scripture, Christ. We thank you for the salvation of the Ethiopian. We thank you for his willingness to testify publicly through the waters of baptism of his salvation. We thank you for those who were baptized today 
who will join the Ethiopian in testifying publicly and identifying publicly with Christ through the waters of baptism. Bless now as we close the hymn we pray. In Jesus' name.